Welcome to the GlobalTQM.com podcast, where we teach e-commerce business owners how to source the best products from China, negotiate with Chinese manufacturers, navigate Chinese business culture, and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. David Hoffman is the founder and CEO of GlobalTQM.com, your team on the ground in China. With over 25 years of experience doing business in China, David and his team at GlobalTQM.com have the know-how and experience to overcome any challenge you'll face sourcing and manufacturing in China. Hey guys, so um, welcome to the to the webinar. Um, we're really happy to have you join us. Just a quick rundown: if any of you are planning to travel to China in the next few weeks or months, um, you should really watch this. Um, just full disclosure, there are going to be some offers at the end, um, but regardless of the offers, there's great content in this webinar, and it's all free and extremely helpful. So we really just want to give that to you and encourage you to listen to it. Um, and having said that, I think let let's get on. So a, qu a question we get asked a lot is, what should a good RFQ supplier communication look like? So. I thought, let me make a few points here. And Tom, please jump in wherever necessary and, and add in some of your, your, your comments around it. Yeah, for sure. I, the first thing I find is it's got to just be very simple and clear. Um, you don't want very long-winded email communication, especially not on your first introduction. It comes to an analogy I keep making about any type of relationship you're building. When you see somebody you like at a bar, you don't walk up to them and say, um, "Let's get married. I want to have your children and live happily ever after." You know, even though you might be excited and feel like that's a potential outcome here, you you really yeah. your initial contact with anybody is, "Hi, how are you? Where you're from? What do you do?" The basic questions, right? And it's the same with the supplier. That's how you want to approach the initial communication, and you just want to ask really simple questions. Um, can you please send us your catalog? Um, I'd like to choose some products, you know, and possibly get a quotation. By the way, this is our company. This is what we do. Two, three lines, short, simple, and sweet. Or I found your product online. Here's what we do. I'd like more information. Can you quote me? It does not need to be more complicated than that because you'll most likely not get a lot of responses. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think. And, yeah. And except of that, like, uh, keep it simple. Uh, it always works. Um, try to, um, yeah. Also try to structure it for yourself. And, and, and if you continue, um, it's like, um, have a clear process and a clear way of working, how you send out your, um, RFQs, or I mean like the structure of your RFQ, always make it the same. So if a supplier, uh, receives your first RFQ, but you, you want to send in more quotation requests for other products uh, um, later on. And it's always the same. You develop a certain way of working, a certain that, that's been recognized. And after a while, the supplier will be very easy and he knows which uh, information yeah. uh, you request. So yeah. I think that that can also help. And I think it's helpful to, to, to at the initial communication, is just get information in the format they have it in. It's quickest and easiest because often they have um their own product sheets quotation sheets ready and waiting and that's the easiest way for them to get that information out to you the minute you ask start asking for custom um, quotations or formats it just lengthens the lead time and until you have a relationship it's not the easiest thing to get done yeah. i always recommend sharing a little bit about um who they're dealing with um talk a little bit about your buying power maybe after the second or third communication 
I start that conversation off by understanding their MOQ expectations and then start talking around that and start having simple conversations okay. around, well, you know, if we needed a lower MOQ, um, are there ways to achieve that, whether it's a slight price surcharge or things like that? Um, it's always important. Brand vision, you know, you can share your brand vision generally with them. I don't think you need to launch into a whole long brand explanation to them, just very simply what you're about in, in what I call the one-minute elevator pitch is, is all yeah. you really need. <clears throat> and I tend to I tend to use that initial communication and RFQ with a supplier to, and this is, I think, the key point for me, to understand what's feasible and what's not feasible, right? They're the, they're the manufacturer, they've got the production capabilities, and they're the ones that are going to tell you what they can and what they can't do. And that's where yeah. it comes around to differentiating your idea versus reality, right? It's learning about the manufacturing limitations or the supplier's limitations, and just the costs involved in producing that product, you know, your your RFQ is really kind of your expectation, what you want, you know, and ideally what you want to pay for it. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that's possible. So you need to just have very simple bite-sized bits of communication to quickly establish um, some of these factors that are going to affect the price and the ability to produce that product the way you want. Yeah. And from there, I generally say you start adapting your RFQ, refining your RFQ, and getting into deeper and deeper conversation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a last little tip is also if you can, if you're uh, asking, you're talking about a specific product, um, try to attach the the product uh, picture as we as we covered before. But it's it's very useful that you know which product exactly you're talking about. Uh, um, so it, it, it can really help uh, to communicate visually again. Tom, you raised a great question to me. Has the skill set of a good buyer or merchandiser changed? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it was a question that was raised uh, or that I read somewhere. Um, and I thought it was really, really interesting because um, we are, we're talking, we have been talking a lot about uh, how the industry is is changing how you have to differentiate products how you um uh, how we will talk about later uh, how e-commerce uh, will probably change uh, or has a lot of influence um on the industry so i thought it's a good question so probably the skills of a of a merchandiser uh, have changed as well but how did they change and uh, that's that's what i wanted to be discuss here yeah um and as, I, I don't know what are your thoughts on, on that or did you did you ever think about that? Yes, uh, I did, I did. Um, I think they've changed a lot. I think, you know, buyers and merchandisers more than ever now, firstly, they need to be creative because to find um, the special differentiation points of a product, you know, the buyers and merchandisers really need to be kind of aware and astute of these factors and the things that influence customers and trends and, um, you know, little things like that that help with sales and conversion because they need to identify those opportunities early on. And I think even little things like their skill set with online tools and their ability to make immediate decisions and analysis um, is, is more important than ever because, you know, the tools, the online tools shorten the time. It's very, very data-driven. And if they, 
don't have a, a good knowledge and understanding and ability to use these tools, do their analysis almost in real time in many cases and assess the data to make a decision and the right decision because they understand the customers and the markets, um, you know, it's it's a recipe for failure. So I think the skill sets change substantially. I, I almost look, I would say I almost look as a buyer and merchandiser these days as a mini entrepreneur. You know, they have to be able to compute and digest all these factors. And, and that's why there's so many success stories of individuals going out there and competing in the market now against big retailers because there's one guy who can, you know, process all these factors and come to the right decisions. You know, in the past, in the past, Tom, it was so, um, it, it, big companies had the advantage that they could sell product because they had distribution, they had sales teams, you know, and they had this a network, a sales network and a distribution network. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good you were a buyer or how good you were at finding the best product, unless you had a distribution network and unless you had a sales um, team, you couldn't sell it. It, it wouldn't make a difference. Whereas th that whole kind of barrier to entry is gone now with e-commerce and with online. You know, this a one a, a child at home has got access to FBA fulfillment centers around the world, yeah. got access to online marketplaces at the touch of his fingers. He doesn't have to move from his bedroom. So you've got global sales, global distribution, marketing, advertising at the touch of your fingers. So it just means now your product selection and ability to understand your market and differentiate really becomes um, more critical than ever. But it does allow uh, a space for entrepreneurs or solopreneurs to just thrive because there's a lot of them out there. And in a way, big companies kind of held them back in the past because they don't have those infrastructure uh, and that support around them. Yeah, completely. Uh, I agree with you. Um, and I think, I think, as you say, that it's more and more a merchandiser or um, um, in the merchandising department, you need some entrepreneurs. I think it's a yeah. good point because as, as you see, um, I think that the, um, the uh, a buying a buying uh, office or a sourcing office is becoming a more and more strategical part of the of the whole process. Uh, where now uh, they have so much more input, or it's becoming more and more in, uh, important to to have more input. And for this, as you said, you need different skills. You need you need yeah. to understand the market. You need to be able to uh, uh, to get uh, have have all this input in, uh, have all this innovation, be creative. Uh, and, yeah. and that's how it's, it's changing. And, and I don't think it's, um, it's changing somehow, but you also need the skills you had before. Like uh, before you need to be a good negotiator, uh, you needed to be very yeah. detail, uh, detail-minded. All these skills you, you still need. But on top Absolutely. of it, there are a lot of added, added skills and your data point, it's, uh, we all know that. So data, and we all have, um, we, um, someone once said, yeah, there's a tsunami of data coming at us and, and we all yes. have access to data um, because it's accessing this data is easy but doing something with it and uh, um, like narrowing it down and taking the right conclusions out of all this data that's something difficult and that's a skill you definitely will need in your merch merchandising team uh, uh, because you're not Tom, able to you, do that that. That, that that's that's you hit the nail on the head with that point it's that that data um, there's masses of data out there and, and, and knowing, knowing how to use it and come to the right decisions is, is what's going to set the, 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 the set people apart.
Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe the last the last point to add is like uh, I, I said it like having this skill in your team is very important. Um, with, this, with this, I mean because I think the skill set of a merchandiser uh, in general, all the skills you need in your in your merchandising team are, 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 are more and more. It's more and more difficult. Uh, there are more skills you need. So don't don't panic and don't try to to have all your merchandisers uh, that they have all these skills. You just it's very important to build complementary teams uh, where where you add on these skills you you didn't need in the in the past, uh, but where you add on some creativity, where you add on some data driven people that that are able some more tech people uh, that are able to um, to uh, work with all this data. Uh, and and make it a good team, of course. But you don't need yeah. all this in one one single person. Of course, if yeah. you can find it, uh, the better it is. But uh, uh, well, just if you build complementary. You've got an entrepreneur who's, who who does their uh, own starts their own true. business. But you're it's right. Actually, it makes and, a circle, right? Actually, you're right. And and that's a challenge. I think that especially all um, big buying offices or big um, um, retailers or even medium sized retailers have. It's it's building the skill set you know once you get to kind of a, a an enterprise or corporate level on anything um it's it's how can you build that skill set in a in, in an effective way you know that can process fast and effectively to keep ahead um because yeah you're doing it on a much bigger scale on a, with a much bigger risk involved and in and in a, with a much bigger product range and categories so that's really an interesting challenge and and yeah buyers and merchandisers are going to drive that industry forward thank you for listening to the global tqm.com podcast so you don't miss a single episode remember to subscribe to our show on itunes we'd also be very grateful if you'd leave us an honest rating and review and don't forget to download your free gift our ebook on china sourcing for startups at global tqm.com slash gift 